Let me uh, just remind you of where we are, because we took a week off from First John, but we're in the middle of a sermon series on First John. And for those of you who aren't that familiar with it, the letter was written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, and the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And he also wrote these First, Second, and Third John, which are these epistles. But we're calling this sermon series Real Christianity. And John is writing to first century Christians in Asia Minor who were in great danger of falling for counterfeit Christianity. And what we've said a few weeks ago is that the easiest way to figure out what's real versus what is false is to become really familiar with the real thing, meaning Jesus Christ himself. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. The scripture reading this morning from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. You all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no life, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that this morning you give us your word and you invite us to come and draw near to you. And you promise when we do, you will draw near to us. We ask that your spirit would give us uh, ears that are sensitive to what you would have us learn today, that our hearts would be soft, um, that we would be willing to hear and to act on what you tell us is true. And we pray that this would happen because we want to meet you and encounter you in a deep and profound way. There's nothing more we need in this life than that. And we ask that you would do this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're visiting today, you're, it's a, what a passage. Uh, it's a very striking passage. It's an it's a interesting passage. And it got me thinking a whole lot about different things this week. But... You know, if you walk on University Avenue in downtown Palo Alto, there is one store, there's one store 
that has an armed guard standing outside of it. This person has a bulletproof vest, a sidearm, and a holster. You can't miss him. You know, it makes you think twice about robbing the store because the store has been robbed multiple times in the past few years. But here's the interesting thing. The guard is not in front of the Apple store, okay? It's not in, he's not in front of Lululemon, but in front of a store called The Real Real. And I didn't know what this thing was. And for those of you who are like me and didn't know what this is, I, had, I looked it up and it's actually a resale store for luxury fashion goods. Apparently, there's such a flood of counterfeit luxury goods, there is a large market for authenticated pre-owned items. Okay? Who would have thought? So if this store has a pre-owned designer handbag for sale, they guarantee it is not a counterfeit. If they are carrying a limited edition Nike Air Jordan of a very, very hard to find type, they are guaranteeing that it is real. If they carry a luxury watch, you get the idea. It's real, real, okay? And no wonder the store is a target for thieves because you have a lot of luxury merchandise in one space. And the store claims to have the most rigorous authentication process using brand-specific experts to authenticate these things. So, and they're saying, come trust our store. And they're saying, you know, our experts are so familiar with the real thing they can pick out a counterfeit. They can pick out a counterfeit. And here's the question for us this morning. Can you tell the difference between counterfeit and the real thing when it comes to faith? Some of you are asking, why does it even matter? You know, as long as faith works for me and I'm getting what I need from it, does what we believe about God, about Jesus, actually make that much difference? You know, our passage says if you want to have the life God intends, the life where you can experience joy, forgiveness, and fellowship with God, it actually makes all the difference in the world. Because the Apostle John in our passage today is warning Christians, warning churches not to fall for a counterfeit version of Christianity. And the first type of counterfeit, he actually highlights is in verse 15. He begins with the world. Did you see this in verse 15? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And what he means by this is to believe that the world can actually satisfy you. That if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you can actually have all things. You can have everything the world promises and also at the same time have a relationship with God that is rich and deep and profound. And John is saying, that's not how it works. Now, some of you may be confused because you're saying, wait, didn't John actually say, for God so loved the world? Okay, and he says, do not love the world here. But here, we're warned not to love the world. We're warned about the world. And of course, the answer is the world can be used in two different senses in the scriptures. In one sense, we're supposed to love it passionately, 
about the world that God has created, the people in the world, that God is actually here to redeem it. He cares about it. And in another sense, there is something else about the world, its system, the things, the material things about it, which becomes this ultimate value, which is the temptation for us to believe that we can find life apart from God. And for that, John says, avoid it at all costs. And this counterfeit or this mirage, I would like to call it this morning, is something that the world promises. It says, you know what? Have all of the desires of your eyes and your flesh and the pride of life, meaning your possessions. Believe, if you believe that that is going to actually satisfy you and you want to have all of those things all at the same time and also hold on to God, he's saying it doesn't work that way. You know, it does not work that way. Because the world keeps telling you, this world is all there is. This is the only life you've got. You can't miss out. You get as much pleasure, security, fun. And this is the only place where you can find happiness. So you better be as happy as you can be. And that's the worldliness that John is speaking of. This is the thing he's saying, hey, do not believe that this will satisfy you. You know why? Because it is going away. It is going away. It is temporary. It's not something that's going to be here. It's something where uh, God is saying it's passing away, you see, in verse 17. And the world is passing away and with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And he's saying this counterfeit version of believing this world here is going to deliver for you. It's temporary. Whereas what God is providing for you in his son is always going to be eternal. And a Christian is someone who begins to believe and sees and lives life from that perspective of eternity and recognizes what is offered here. Even all the wonderful stuff, the good stuff, is never going to satisfy in the way God does. And this is what I think Jesus means by, you cannot serve two masters. You must choose. And all of us here know the depths of this temptation to be drawn to believing, especially when things are hard. Especially for those of you who are Christian and feeling like, I feel so desperately far from God. And in those moments, we begin to believe that these things will actually satisfy us in those moments. And yet, John warns us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All of this is passing away, he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. There's something eternal and unshakable about it. Now, we have a lot to cover. I want to say a whole lot more about this, but let's keep going because the second danger is the one I really want us to spend a good bit of time on this morning. Because the second danger was not coming from the outside of the church. It's not coming from our internal desires, but it's actually from the inside of the church, from people who seem knowledgeable, even sincere and spiritual. In verse 26, it says, I write these... Things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
John is saying something that's kind of actually unsettling for us. There are people trying to lead you astray rather than leading you to life in Jesus Christ. This actually sounds a little disconcerting, a little scary. And he's saying, I am writing to you that you may know and be aware that there are people who are trying to lead you astray. All this time, John's been saying, the reason I'm writing this letter to you in the first place is that you might know, that you might be certain that you belong to God, that you have forgiveness of sin, that God actually loves you. Because we always are asking ourselves, how do I know that I become a child of God? How do I know that I have the righteousness of Jesus and the forgiveness of of sin? How do I know I really put my faith in Jesus? And two weeks ago, I said, John says there are three tests in this chapter. And we looked at the first two. The first was obedience. See, if your life intersects with Jesus, it's going to change you, and it shows up in obedience to God and his revealed word. That's one of the signs. That's one of the tests. The second thing he talked about is it's going to show up in the way you love others. Because you're going to love in a way you have not loved before. Because again, experiencing God's love for you is absolutely transformative. Transformative. You are going to change. That is going to take place. It may be slow, but it will happen. And the third test, John is saying there is truth. And we're going to look at this truth today. Truth that you're going to hold to, abide in, which will assure you that you are connected to Jesus Christ. So what do we know about these people who are trying to deceive uh, these folks in this early church? In verse 19, we're told they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were part of the church, these false teachers or antichrists. But eventually they left the church and probably they were trying to convince everyone the way they are approaching Jesus about their faith was right. And when they couldn't convince everybody, they decided to leave. They moved on. And John is saying this is revealing. They weren't really followers of the revealed Christ. And again, John calls them antichrists and liars in verses 21 and 22. And you're saying, this is really harsh. Why? Because he's saying the danger is real. He is warning the church that these false teachers are leading you away from Jesus. And they don't have just some defective or errant theology. It's not just ignorance. It's not a difference of opinion. But he couches it and he describes it in much more of a sinister manner. Because they are rejecting something that is true. Listen to what it says in verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What these people were teaching was that Jesus 
was not the person who is revealing the Father. They are actually denying that Jesus is God who came in human flesh as he claimed to be. And they said, that's too hard. That doesn't sound like something God would do. That he would somehow take on human form? That he would become one of us? For them, that was an unthinkable reality. But they loved so many things about Jesus. His teaching, his life, the miracles, his kindness, and his love. So they began to teach that Jesus was just a man who was born into this world. And at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him. And he was able to do all of this amazing ministry do all of this incredible teaching, heal, forgive. But before Jesus died on the cross, the Spirit of God has left him. Because there's no way God himself would suffer in this way. And this is the teaching we know from the scholarship of that first century that was beginning to bubble up in the church. And John is saying, hey, with very great conviction... To abandon Jesus' claim of divinity is to let go of the possibility of living the life God has for you. The incarnation, the fact that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, is the deep truth he is urging all of his followers to keep at the very center of their faith and at the core of their lives. He is essentially saying, you know, if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, then I don't know if you're really a Christian. That's what he's saying. You can have all of the love you have for all of his law, but there is something here that is so crucial that you cannot have the fullness of life that God offers You can't have the assurance. You can't have the joy. And he's saying Christianity is not a smorgasbord of ideas where you get to choose what you want in your faith. It isn't like going to Chipotle, you pick up all the ingredients you want, and you get some spiritual burrito, you know? Real Christianity actually centers on the person of Jesus Christ as he revealed himself to us. See? And why is this such a big deal? And you know why? Because the scriptures tell us it is through Jesus. It is through Jesus Christ that we get to know who God is. And what you believe about Jesus, the truth about him makes all the difference in the world. You know, when I was a youth pastor in Philadelphia many, many years ago, I had a young man who wanted to volunteer with our teens. He grew up in the church. Everybody really liked him, responsible and committed. Man, he was even willing to serve every single week. This is like a, you know, dream volunteer. And he wanted to make sure I was okay with the fact that he didn't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I said, wait, you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And he said, you know, I love all this great stuff about Jesus, what he taught. But I feel like that's kind of a myth. It's scientifically almost impossible. And then we had this longer discussion about, well, 
then what is the source of your eternal hope? What is the hope that you have when the Bible actually says that the fact that Jesus rose from the grave is central to believing and having hope that there is eternal life, that God has actually redeemed all things, that he is triumphant over sin and death. And I told him I would love for you to support our teens, but I can't have you serve in this role. Because I'm not, historically, we would say you're not a Christian. He was a bit offended and wanted to know why this was so crucial. And I said, you know what? Even if you love Jesus, you admire him, you believe that he's a great teacher, it's not enough. Not according to John, not according to scriptures, because it makes all the difference in the world. I'll explain why in a second. You know, this past week in Christianity Today, they had an article on top five heresies among American evangelicals. Uh, David Jones sent this to me and some others, and I was reading this, and I was like, wow, this is a survey of people who are Christians and consider themselves evangelicals. And here, number two on this list, all five are interesting, but I'm going to pick out two for us this morning, is that 73% of professing Christians believe Jesus was created by God. That Jesus is the first and great, greatest being created by God. You know, and we forget things like Jesus said to Philip, you know, whoever has seen me has actually seen the Father. This is in John chapter 14, verse 9. You know, when you know me, you're going to know the Father. And we begin to think, wait, but Jesus was created? How's that going to work? Number three on the list was this. 43% of those surveyed said Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. He was not God. John 10.30. Remember when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He says this to the religious leaders who are so angry. Because they knew what he was saying. He's saying, I am God. They were so angry, they wanted to drag him out and stone him. You see? These are heresies because these core truths about who Jesus is are beginning to shift. And these early false teachers, these antichrists, were trying to deceive the church in this way. But again, why is the truth that Jesus was God so important? At the center of Christianity, my friends, is an admission we cannot cure ourselves of sin. We can't fix ourselves. We saw early on in the letter, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we can't be rescued and saved by what we do, we cannot be saved by a human prophet that's telling us what to do. Jesus can't be a mere man who gave us great advice holy advice and tell us this is what you need to do to find God. We can't walk that path. We can't save ourselves. Not even with the help of a great prophet. And the Bible actually says we actually need a savior, a redeemer. God himself has to come. He has to do something. This is the story of Christmas, right? That God, out of his love for the world, came and took on human form to live the perfect life 
of obedience that we can never ever live. We needed someone to do this for us. We cannot cure ourselves. And not only did God come into the world to live the perfect life of obedience, we could never live. He also died the death for our sins as our substitute. And we saw this a couple weeks ago as well in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That is, by Jesus' death on the cross, he turned away, satisfied the judgment of God. This is the core tenet of Christianity. And here's the question. Does this truth have you? Like, by your heart. There's something beautiful about this. Because John is saying, you have to hang on to this, because this is our hope, to be the people of the truth. Let this thing be the thing that shapes you. And this is the beginning of the letter. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus. You know, there's no greater joy in ministry than to see the penny drop for people on this, where they encounter Jesus Christ and have their eyes opened and they experience new life in Jesus to watch people walk away from things that are destroying them because they are now born again of Christ. You know, the idea that the truth shall set you free, it begins with a truth and something that is real. Because when you conform your life to the truth of the gospel, there begins to bubble up in your heart an assurance that you belong to God. Because salvation... Being born again is something God did, not you. That's the truth. And John is calling the church to abide in this truth. And have you thought about what what is the attraction of this false teaching? What is the attraction of these antichrists or these false teachers? I mean, they look like they believe. They seem like good people. The Johannine scholars, that is, specialists of John's writing, that's what that's called. In the early church, they said there were those who wanted to upgrade Christianity to make it fit the times, to make it relevant and palatable. I mean, they're saying, after all, we're living in a very pluralistic society. Greek philosophy was in vogue, and the idea that God himself would take on flesh Christians were being laughed at, you know. Greek philosophy saw the material world, the body, as something to be escaped from. It was the spirit that was good. So they upgraded the teaching to teach Jesus was just a man. God's spirit came on him at his baptism, left before it was crucified. He wasn't eternal. He didn't exist with the Father He was created. There's this constant temptation to modernize Jesus, even today, you know? Upgrade the parts we find offensive. You know, how can you believe Christianity is one true faith, people say? We live in a pluralistic world. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. I'm not saying that's an easy thing to hear, 
But part of remaining in God is to be able to hear these things and rather than change what we're hearing, allow our hearts to be conformed to what he is saying. And my friends, this is where it takes reflection, prayer, people pushing back on you, you questioning Jesus. What do you really mean by that? That's really hard. What about my friends? What about people I love that don't believe? How are we supposed to understand this? And we wrestle. But we do this from the perspective of, God, what you're telling us is what we need to base our life in and root ourselves in. You know, we often hear that beliefs about how the Bible talks about gender or sexuality, all of those things, it's so outdated. We need to update our beliefs. Because if we don't, it's not a safe place. Well, I, I understand a lot about those things as well, but at the same time, how do you do those things without conforming in a way to please the world and you lose what God is trying to say? There are things here that are real. This feeling that what we've been given in the scriptures is somehow insufficient that somehow there's some secret knowledge out there that a few specialists have this knowledge that unlocks the mystery of what Jesus really means. You know, a dissatisfaction of what has been passed down and we keep looking for something new. And that attitude makes us very vulnerable to counterfeits. Very vulnerable. You know, another temptation is believe the gospel isn't enough. It's not enough. For some early Christians, it was this desire to keep close to Jewish roots and hang on to old practices, although Christ has satisfied these, right? So one of the important themes in the book of Galatians is that Jesus actually is sufficient. Jewish Christians were arguing believing in Christ as Messiah was essential, but not sufficient. So if you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to believe that he was the Messiah. He died for your sins. He was incarnate, all of this stuff. But you also had to be circumcised, eat kosher. You had to keep all the festivals. And Galatians argues Jesus is not only essential, but sufficient for all things. And to add on to the work of Jesus actually takes away from him. You see? And all of these temptations are always here. So how are we to counter some of these things? Our passage gives us two. In verse 20, John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, meaning the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. What is John saying? He's saying, Listen, these false teachers are saying, we have some secret knowledge that you don't have. And John is saying, you know what you have? When you became a Christian, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that means every single Christian has this knowledge. Knowledge of what? Who Jesus Christ is. That's not meant for just a few. It's not meant for the elite. It is something we all have. And he says, you know the truth. See? Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He's saying, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal 
life. See, this is John's encouragement. He says, hey, hey don't, don't listen to all this, all this talk about their special knowledge out there. Just go back to what we've been telling you about who Jesus is and what he said. Because if you've met Jesus Christ, okay, if you've experienced his forgiveness, his nearness, his holiness, his power, the transformation he has brought to you, and you know what it means to be his sons and his daughters, he's going to talk about this at length in the following chapters. That you are no longer a slave but a son. If a son, then an heir. Because God has sent his spirit of sonship upon your hearts where you cry out, Abba, Father. John is saying, hey, you know that that's true. That is in your heart. And you begin to understand life from an eternal perspective because his kingdom is coming into the world and you begin to trust what Psalm 16 and 11 says that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's saying there's a subjective experience of the truth that's there. Does what we believe make a difference? John says absolutely. Because once you move away from the truth, you cannot have the assurance of knowing the real Christ. So he says abide in this truth. Continue in this truth. Persevere in this truth. I love how Eugene Peterson, um, in his translation, or his poetic translation, the message, uh, translates verses 24 and 25. Listen to this. I love this. Stay with what you heard from the beginning, the original message. Let it sink into your life. If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both son and father. This is exactly what Christ promised. Eternal life, real life. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that this morning, um, by the power of your spirit, you would allow us to abide in your truth, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time that we would encounter you in such a profound and deep way that the truth is something we would not only know in our minds, but we would experience down into the depth of our souls. An encounter with you never leaves us the same. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would give us perseverance, you would give us assurance, and most of all, you would give us a clarity to see the beauty of your Son who has come to us in the flesh who has lived, died, and rose again on our behalf. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.